Good morning. I'm John Cook, and I want to welcome you to my page on John Cook Ministries. We are continuing our study today on the pastoral epistles. We are on lesson number six, and this is uh, part five of lesson number six, which is dealing with 1 Timothy chapter six. The purpose of the pastoral epistles is to instruct young pastors how they're to behave themselves, what they're to preach, and uh, how they're to teach. Today, we are going to look at and consider the fact of what God tell, tells us about our battles. There are battles that we have to fit, face. As preachers, young preachers have battles to face just like old preachers do. And then God gives us our orders, our marching orders, how to carry on the battle. And each battle is different, but each battle is a part of the war, the war that God has already won. And one day we're going to experience the victory over all these battles and come out with the victory in the war. And then we're to see our commander. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that we're to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So today we want to look at these three subjects in our lesson. So let's get right into it. First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12 says, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. So God has a purpose in our in our Christian life. And we are told first and foremost that we're to fight the good fight of faith. And this is a battle that goes on in our lives, and we're to fight that fight. We're not to fight each other, but we're to fight the good fight of faith. And then he he tells us, <clears throat> excuse me, having told us to fight the good fight of faith, then he tells us that this is a call for action. It's not enough for us as God's children to simply sit by the sidelines and be observers. We're not we're not bench warmers. We're in the battle, and we're called into the battle. When he says, fight the good fight of faith, you can't fight it sitting on the bench. <clears throat> you can't fight it, excuse me, I'm having a little bit of trouble with my voice today. You can't fight it staying in the barracks. You've got to get into the battlefield, and you've got to get into the into the firing line, and get into the battle, and fight. Give it all you've got. This is a call for action. Second, First Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3 tells us, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Notice that as a good soldier, a good soldier must endure hardness. Hardness is the difficulties we're going to face in the battles. Hardness is the difficulties which will come our way on the battlefield. 
These are not the fun times. There's very little fun in a battle. In fact, I'm told there's no fun at all in a battle. And the business of enduring hardness is as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I've spent a few years in the battle. I've spent a few years in the war. And those, those years have been required enduring hardness, putting up with the difficulties, putting up with the main, with the, with the fiery darts of the, of the wicked one, putting up with the temptations that come our ways. These are all things that we have to endure as God's soldiers. These are words that show the control of action, what we're to be doing in the battle. And that is this charge, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, Paul says to Timothy, This charge I committed to thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou mightest war a good warfare. Notice, this is not a request, but a charge. A charge is a command that is given. And as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, we must hear the command of our commander-in-chief. And we have to, only then can we fight a good warfare. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 25 and 26 says, says, And every man that striveth for the masteries is temperate in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. He says, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, in other words, these that are fighting for the mastery, the example he's giving, are doing it for an, a corruptible crown. That is the crown in the Olympics. Something that's not going to last, and it's not going to last very long. But we, in the battles that we face, we must or we are seeking to win an incorruptible crown. That is the crowns that Jesus has for us, for our faithfulness in the service of God, for our enduring hardness on the battlefield for the Savior. Second Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 7 says, By the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. To fight the battles requires that we are involved. Excuse me, I have to turn a page here. To fight the battles, we must use the correct weapons, the right weapons of warfare. These are weapons that God has provided for us. And the primary one is by the word of truth. This is the 
Word of God. This is what we're supposed to be fighting our battles with, is the Word of God. And not by our own power, but by the power of God. So we are to use the Word of God in the battle. We're to fight in the power of God. And we're to fight with the armor of righteousness. That means we have to cover ourselves. We have to put on the whole armor of God. And by putting on the whole armor of God, we can stand in the battles. We can do all that we need to do by fighting in the armor of God, by the word of truth. In fact, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. What are those strongholds? Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So, what are, what are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be fighting the battle, but not after the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, he tells us. They're not carnal weapons, but they're mighty weapons. They're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, and those strongholds are imaginations. High things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. And we're to bring these things into captivity. Every thought to the obedience of Christ. You see, the Bible says there is a way which seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So, if we use what we think to in the battle, we're going to be defeated because that's carnal. So, what we have to do is bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We have to make our thoughts obey the thoughts of Christ, not our, not what we think, but what he says. Otherwise, we're using worthless weapons. Carnal weapons are worthless in the warfare that we face. Hebrews 4.12 tells us, The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder, of the of soul and spirit, and of the thought joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So the needed weapon that we have is the word of God. It's life-giving, it's quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. So this, the word of God is more beneficial to us in the battle 
than anything this world could offer. You know, a lot of times we think education is the answer to fighting the battle. But the reality is, education's not the answer, not the world's education, not our puffing up our minds with our knowledge, but our knowing what the Word of God says and knowing how to use the Word of God in the battles. It divides asunder every thought. It divides asunder the soul and spirit, it divides what you can't divide. It divides between the joints and the marrow. And it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. When we read this book, it discerns us as to our thinking, as to our ideas. It discerns what, how we're coming to the Word of God. It discerns even the very thoughts of our mind. It's a living book. This is the book that God has given us, the weapon of our warfare, the Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7 says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. This is what we should be able to say at the end of the battles. I was in the battle. I fought a good fight. It doesn't say I've labored in a good sewing circle. It doesn't say I've enjoyed myself in the recreation hall. As an old song that I can remember uh, hearing when I was younger, it said, it's a battlefield, brother, not a recreation hall. hall. Let me say to you today, we're in a battle. And we've got to fight it with everything we've got so that when we come to the end of our path, like the Apostle Paul speaking here in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7, when he came to the end of his battle, he said, I have fought a good fight. He was about to go to heaven. He was about to depart this land, this earth that we live on. He said, I fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. That's a threefold plan for success. And that is fight the good fight. Finish the course that God has for us. And keep the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. Keep the faith of our word of God, of the word of God. Continue to trust the word of God. Don't ever give it aside. Never set it aside. Don't let this world replace what God has to say. Don't let the teachings of men replace what God has to say. Let's speak thus saith the Lord. Let's preach the word. Then he goes on to say, lay hold on eternal life. See, talking about keeping ourselves saved, 
Well, that's not possible because we can't keep ourselves saved. So what's he talking about? He's talking about living the Christian life. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21, he says, uh, For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. We live by faith. We fight by faith. For me to live is Christ. Today, for me to live in this world is Christ. Is that, is that true in your life? Is it true in my life? It certainly should be true. Do I live for Jesus Christ? Do I live so that Jesus Christ shines through me? That others see Jesus in me? For me to live is Christ. To die, that's gain. Because when I die, I go to be with Christ. I see the one who loved me and gave himself for me. I'll see the one who who pierced hands and and and, and feet were pierced for me, whose blood was shed on the cross of Calvary. That's the goal. That's crossing the goal line. As I heard my pastor, Pastor James Johnston. A man I served with years ago, who's now at home of the Lord, who now has experienced the gain we're talking about today. He preached a message and he said that our problem as Christians today is, is we don't want to die. I want to live. For me to live is gain. That seems to be our attitude. Many today, because of this coronavirus, that, that people are locked away in their homes, in fear. You know what they're fearful of? We're fearful of death. But if we, as Jesus Christ tells us in the Word of God, if we love Him, if we receive him as our personal savior, then for me to live is Christ. I live for Christ. But to die, that's gain. That's no loss. We look at death from the human side and we see it as... I just realized I've got two mics on. Sorry about that. I realize, I'm sorry, I got myself confused there. But for me to live is Christ. We in our lives as, as human beings, we look at death as loss. We lose everything. You can't take it with you. But as Christians, we're supposed to look at life as our opportunity to live for Jesus. 
and death is our gain to be with Jesus. We live and war towards a guaranteed future. We're not laboring to accomplish that future. We're laboring because we have that future. Ephesians 1.13 says, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Think of that. We trusted in him. That's Jesus. Let me fix that so we make plain what we're saying. We trusted in him, in Jesus. After we heard the word of truth, the word of truth is the Bible. The scriptures, thus saith the Lord. The gospel of your salvation, that's the gospel message, the good news that Jesus died for our sins shed his blood for us, was buried, went into hell for us. But brother, he didn't stay dead. He rose again from the dead. And now is Christ risen. He's the first fruits. He's the guarantee of our future. In whom? That's Jesus again. Also, after that, she believed. We believed in him. We trusted in him. What did he do for us? We were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Man, think of that. We are sealed today. Sealed unto the day of redemption, the Bible tells us. And thank God we have the guarantee that we are not trying to be saved, but we are already saved, and it's a predetermined destination now. We are predestinated in Jesus Christ unto him and unto good works in this world. See, assurance of guaranteed future that keeps us in the battle not only helps us to fight the battle, but it's the thing that keeps us going, is knowing that we can't lose. 1 John 5, 12 says, He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. So, it's who you have. He that hath the Son hath life. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. It's that sh certain. If you have him, you have life. The next scripture, verse 13 says, that he that hath the Son hath life, he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. 
These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know, know that you have eternal life. If you have the Son, then you know that you have eternal life. That's the privilege we have as Christians. So we stay in the battle because we know we have eternal life. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12 says, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. The key is assurance of salvation. When you know that you're saved, when you know that you can't lose it, when you know that your salvation is certain, you can get into the battle and fight that thing. The battles with the habits in our lives that were there before we got saved that we have to get rid of. The battle of getting out and witnessing for Jesus. The battle of fighting against this old flesh and its desires and its lust. The Apostle Paul suffered chains, ended up in the prison, and he said, I'm not ashamed. What kept him in the battle, even in the face of all of that? Because he says, I know whom I have believed. I am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Do you know? Do you know whom you believed? If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, then you know that he can be trusted. And that should persuade us to stay in the battle. Because he's going to bring us through the battle, and he's going to bring us into the victory. Romans 8.37 says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors, through him that loved us. Wow, think of that. We're in the midst of our battles. We're experiencing terrible trials and difficulties. We're fighting against our own flesh and against the world and against the devil. And in the midst of all that seems to be there to destroy us. We know that in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him. That is, again, Jesus. He's our Savior. 
and our Lord. We can't lose. We can't lose. We've already, we are more. We are present tense. In the midst of the battles, the bullets are flying, the arrows are being shot. It looks like a terrible scene. But in the midst of that, we are more than conquerors through Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 57. The chapter, 1 Corinthians 15 is all about the, the resurrection, all about how the, the gospel message. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you notice what it says? Look at that little word right there. This one right here. Giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've already got the victory. We're in the midst of the battle, I said. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm going to have to take a drink. We're in the midst of the battle. It don't look like we're winning. In fact, it looks like we're losing. It looks like there's no hope. But the Bible says he giveth us the victory. Every victory we have comes from God. And it's there for the taking. All we have to do is stay in the battle. He goes on to say, whereunto thou art also called. We're called to the Savior. Romans 1 verse 6 says, among whom ye are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. The apostle Paul said he was called to be an apostle. But he tells you and me as Christians, we are called of Jesus Christ. Do you realize what that says? The Spirit of Jesus Christ is the one that called us unto salvation. When we go out and we knock on people's doors and we share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with them and we offer to them the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So we take the good news of Jesus Christ to this world and tell them how to get saved. And when they make the decision one way or the other of trusting Christ or not trusting Christ, of receiving Christ or not receiving Christ, they're not rejecting our call. They're rejecting the call of Jesus Christ. But we who are saved have been called of Jesus Christ. We're already called. And we belong to him. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10 says, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory, by Christ Jesus, 
After that, ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. We are called unto his eternal glory by Christ. Called to his eternal glory. All through eternity, we will reflect his eternal glory because we've been called by him out of this world. Oh, we're going to suffer for a while. But through all of that, Paul's prayer, and this should be our prayer for one another, is that the Lord will make us perfect. That he will establish us. That he will strengthen us. That he will settle us. This should be our prayer for one another. This is Paul's prayer for us. That the Lord would perfect us, establish us, strengthen us, and settle us. Are you settled? Are your feet planted firmly on the rock? The rock Christ Jesus? That's where we need to be in our Christian life. We're called according to his purpose. God has a purpose in our calling. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 through 30 says, And we know, there's that word again, know, that all things work together for good. How many things? All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Did you get that? We are called according to his purpose. God has a purpose in our calling. For whom he did foreknow. And the Bible tells us he foreknew us in Jesus Christ. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. What's his purpose? He wants us to be conformed to the image of his son. Conformed means to be formed into that image. To be pressed into that image. To have the things chipped off the old rock that we might be in his image. That Jesus Christ, he says, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. There we are again. We're the called. Whom he called, them he also justified. What's his goodness? What's his plan for us? Is to be justified. He has justified us. And having justified us, he will glorify us. Don't look for glory on your own. Don't look to glorify yourself. Glorify Jesus. He'll take care of the glorying of glorifying you. I so many people in this world live for themselves, live for their own glory. That others would see them. 
that others would care about them, remember them. We don't live for our glory. We live for his glory. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9 says, Who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. There's that word purpose again. And that word grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus. You know, sometimes you ought to go through your Bible and read how many times everything that we have as Christians comes through Christ Jesus before the world began. He saved us. He called us with an holy calling, but not according to our works, but according to his purpose and grace. The Bible says, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. <laughs> man, if we could work our way to heaven, don't you know we'd be strutting around in heaven? with our chest stuck out, popping the buttons off our, our robes of righteousness, saying, my, look at what I did. Be like that little fairy tale, stuck in his thumb, pulled out a plum, said, my, what a good boy am I. Well, God cancels that out because it's not by works but through his grace. Well, we're called to a holy calling. This holy calling means we have a war that we have to battle in. And that's serving God. That's doing the things. That's facing the trials and troubles of this world and the, and the enemy's attacks from the world of flesh and the devil. Our old flesh fights against us trying desperately to enslave us once again. We who have been set free have to deal with the presence of sin when we want to do right. Ephesians 4 and verse 1 says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Paul, as a prisoner of Jesus Christ, says, it's time for you who are called of Jesus Christ, who are saved and on your way to heaven, who are in the battle, walk worthy of the vocation. That's the, the job that God has given us. And what's that job? That job is to fight the good fight of faith wherewith you're called. We're, to, we're called to walk worthy for the Savior. Then he goes on to say in that verse, and has professed a good profession. He's professed a good profession. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, 
that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. When we got saved, we confessed with our mouth the Lord Jesus. Not that Jesus is Lord, but the Lord Jesus. And we believed in our heart that God raised him from the dead. And you know what God said when we confessed with our mouth and believed in our heart? He said, thou shalt be saved. That means my salvation is in the past tense. Since the day that with the heart I believed unto righteousness, and with the mouth confessed to salvation. You get it? My salvation, your salvation, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, confessed with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believed in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. Do you get what he says? Your salvation is accomplished. We're not in the battle to win our salvation. We're in the battle because we're saved. It becomes our fight. A fight that we are given by God to fight. We surrendered to the Savior the day we got saved. He's the Lord, Jesus. At one point, Jesus said it. He said, why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? That's a, that's a good question. Why do we call him Lord, but don't do what he says? But he is the Lord, and we surrendered to him. Titus 1.16, they professed, they profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. Your profession must be a good profession, must be backed up, by obedience to the Savior. He says, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained that you should go and bring forth fruit. The Bible says that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's, he, he's put a good work in here. But that's got to come out here. And that's the battles we're going to face. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 13, the Apostle Paul says, I charge thee, excuse me, I give thee charge in the sight of God, 
who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. Jesus witnessed a good confession. That's what he wants to say of us, that we've witnessed a good confession before this world. Jesus witnessed. He said, I give thee in the sight of God. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. What we do, we don't do in favoritism. We do it for the Savior. We're not putting one person ahead of another person because of benefit to us. But we're doing what Jesus did, and that is calling on everyone to trust Christ and treating our Christian brothers and sisters with the same respect and love and concern and service. Not with partiality. Not with favoritism. Paul orders Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.21. What we just read there in 1 Timothy 5.21. I'm sorry, we just read that. Let's go to the next one. In Galatians 1 and verse 12. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. What Paul did in his teaching, in his preaching, he didn't do it because he got it from man. But because he was taught it by the revelation of Jesus Christ. He had God-given orders. We have God-given orders in the Word of God. Not because man says so, but because God says so in His Word. Psalm chapter 12, verses 6 and 7 tells us, The words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Now, I'm an old-time Baptist preacher. I believe this book right here. This one right here. I believe that Every word of God, everything in here is the word of God. This is the King James Bible. And I believe what God says here in Psalm chapter 12. They are pure words. He purified them seven times in a furnace of earth. And I believe it when he says, thou shalt keep them his words, and thou shalt 
preserve them, his words, from this generation forever. You know what that tells me? Tells me that when I hold that King James Bible in my hand, I am holding the preserved words of God. The pure words, they're pure because God preserved them. You know, that's the problem with all these new translations today. Is nobody believes that God preserved his words. Oh, there's Greek and Hebrew scholars want to tell us that he preserved them in the Greek and the Hebrew, in the originals, but you don't have the originals. Nobody has the originals. But I have God's kept, sorry, I can't get a hold of it. I have God's kept and preserved words right here in the King James Bible. Now, you just go ahead and do whatever you want to do, but I'm going to hang with the Bible. First Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 11 says, As ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. We exhort our children. We comfort our children. We command our children. We encourage them. We comfort them in the battles they face as children. And then we give them charge. I remember as a kid, my daddy used to say to my brother and I, remember whose kids you are. And we don't believe in saying that anymore. Maybe it's because we don't value the family name anymore. But my daddy's generation valued the family's name. And he would say, remember whose kids you are. Some cases we would say, but mama, but daddy, everybody's doing it. And my daddy's answer would be, and my mama's answer would be, you're not. But he comforts and charges his children. So we are to comfort and charge one another. We're to exhort like a father would his children. We're to comfort those that are suffering. And we're to charge those in his service. Then he says, who quickeneth all things. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45 says, And so it is written, The first man, Adam, was made a living soul, and the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. The first man, Adam, when God breathed his breath into the into his nostrils, man became a living soul. But Adam sinned, and spiritually he died. That instant he sinned. And that's been passed on to each of us as Adam's children. But when we're born into God's family, the last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
was made a quickening spirit. He quickens our spirit. He gives life to our spirit. That which was dead in us is now made alive. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 39 tells us, See that now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God with me. I kill, and I make alive. I wound, and I heal. Neither is there any that can deliver out of my hand. Life and death are in God's hands, according to the book of Deuteronomy. And then when you come to, and then he, I'm sorry, I'm getting a little ahead of myself here. He says, and before Christ Jesus. John 5, 21 says, for as the father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the son quickeneth whom he will. Just as in Deuteronomy, God has the power of life and death in his hands. So in John, we read that Jesus has the power of life and death in his hands. He quickeneth whom he will. Only through the Lord Jesus Christ can we get saved. And he's the one who keeps us in the battle. Because he quickened us. That's what puts us in the battle. John 5, 26, For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. That means he's got all power. He's got the power of life in himself. Jesus has that power. And he gives it to whomsoever he chooses. And he chooses all that come unto him and confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in their heart that God has raised him from the dead and get saved by the grace of God so they have life. I have life. You have life if you've come to the Lord Jesus Christ and received him and trusted him as your Savior. Our service is before the Savior and shall be tried by the Savior. All that we do, we do for the Savior. Romans chapter 14, verses 10 through 13 says, But what? Why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall, now get this, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Did you get that? Every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Now get two things here in mind. The judgment seat of Christ, we give account to Jesus. So we're giving account to God. We are all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and we are all going to give account of ourselves. Now what that's dealing with, we know from Scripture 
is giving account of our service for Christ. Not to get our salvation. This is not dealing with our salvation. This is talking to Christians. This all here is talking to Christians. Not to the world. Not to non-believers. But to Christians. We shall all, every Christian is going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Every Christian is going to give account of himself unto God. To God. This is dealing with our service. Our sins were judged at Calvary's cross. But our service is going to be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. Jesus, before Pontius Pilate, witnessed a good confession. Matthew 27, verse 11. Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. Now that word, thou, that statement, thou sayest, I'm told that this is the same thing as saying, you said it. You said it, brother. So, that's what I'm told. So Jesus answered Pilate. In John chapter 18, verse 36 to 37, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now... Boy, that's important to keep in mind. He says, but now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Jesus tells Pilate, his kingdom now is not of this world. His purpose in his first coming wasn't to set up his kingdom, but to bear witness of the truth. But the day is going to come when it, this world is going to become his kingdom. And when that happens, then every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. John 19, verse 11, Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. You see, Pilate, Thought himself a bigwig, like a lot of us think. And he said, don't you know I have the power of life and death over you? I can do with you what I want to do. And Jesus answered him, 
Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee. The only power that that uh, Pilate had was given him by God. It was God's purpose for Christ to go to the cross and die for us, be buried for us, and raise again from the dead for us. So he allowed it. So today, the only power this world has is that which has been given the, this world from above. You ought to keep that in mind. The only power this world has is this power right here. The power that was given from above. God had to grant it or they wouldn't have it. So if we're suffering under the power of this world, doing what God wants us to do, serving the Lord, obeying the Lord and not man, and that creates trouble in our lives, and that means we're faced with battles in our lives, that's okay. Because God has a purpose in those battles. Ephesians 5 and verse 1 says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. So what am I to do as a Christian? I'm to follow God. That's what I'm to do. I'm to follow God just like a loving child follows, follows his father. Follow God. First Thessalonians 1 and verse 6 says, And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Notice that they were followers of the apostle Paul and the apostles and of the Lord. Apostle Paul at one point says, follow me even as I follow Christ. We received the word of God. Those that brought us to Christ, we tend to follow. But let's always keep in mind that primarily we follow the Savior. Receiving his word with joy. So now that we've seen these three facts, the battles, the orders, and our commander-in-chief, then let's faithfully follow our commander-in-chief, the Lord Jesus Christ. So this brings us then to the end of this lesson. We trust that God will bless you and has blessed you through this lesson. And you who later join us and listen to this, I trust God will give us fruit to his glory. Well, until the next lesson, this is John Cook, from John Cook Ministries.
saying God bless you. 